All right. Well, I want to welcome again all of our campuses back to week three of our series entitled Beyond. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us. So excited to have you guys. We are in a five-week series talking about how God can use your life and my life to make a difference. Matter of fact, I believe that God wants to use our lives individually, as families, and as a church family. I believe that impact is not one-dimensional. I believe that God wants to use each one of our lives individually, collectively. Matter of fact, it's a both and, to make a difference for Christ. And when we make a difference for Christ, and when we see God use our life, let me tell you, there is nothing more satisfying than that. Matter of fact, when you know that God has used your life to make an impact on somebody else's life, lifting them, seeing them come to Christ, as a matter of fact, when you lead somebody to Jesus, and you truly see that miracle, you know that is the greatest miracle. I believe in healing. I believe that God can heal people. I believe that God can do incredible miracles, financial miracles. I believe all those different things. But I'm going to tell you, the greatest, the greatest miracle, in my opinion, is the miracle of a changed life. When your heart is transformed by Jesus, and when you and I get to participate in that, when we, we actually get to see our lives be a participant, and again, we don't save people, Jesus saves, but God uses our mouth. He uses our energy and our efforts to be able to communicate the gospel. That's what Paul said. How will they know unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone is said? How will they, listen, they need somebody to share the gospel. I, I, love, I love the fact that we believe in Church of the King that God is a miracle-working God, that God does miracles, signs and wonders, that we serve a God that didn't just, hey, by the way, you know what a deist is? Here's what a de deism. A deist believes that God just kind of started it all, winded up the clock, and then just stepped back and just said, y'all figure it out. I mean, they, they acknowledge that God's the creator, but that's it. I am grateful that God is not the creator, but God is intervening on a daily basis to do miracles in our lives today. How many of y'all grateful for that? And I'm talking about more than just believing for a parking spot. Now, that's a start, and that's not bad. But God wants to do miracles, and when God does miracles, it is awesome. It, it, is, it, is, it is so, matter of fact, that's why the Bible calls it a sign. Everybody say sign and say wonder. So in other words, you see a sign, a token of God's grace, a, a, a miracle, and it causes people to sit back and go, wow, that's amazing. The question is, how do miracles work? Why does God do miracles? Do miracles still happen today? I believe they do. Listen, let me ask you a question. This is for all the theologians in the room, all right? All of our campuses. You can think about it. If you want to shout it out, you can. There's one miracle, one miracle that Jesus actually performed that's recorded in every gospel. Only one, by the way, only one. There's one specific story of him doing a miracle that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know the accounts of the Gospels, there's different perspectives, there's different things, but there's one particular account of a story of something that happened in the ministry of Jesus that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's the only one. I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. 
It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke and John. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus, if Jesus made sure that that particular miracle was in each one of his gospels, how many of you know there's probably something special about that miracle? In other words, there's something so special, there's actually, I believe, insight into that miracle that's a clue to all miracles. I want to talk to you this morning about how a biblical miracle works, how a biblical miracle works. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to two places, John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 6. John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 6. Very powerful, again, the same account of the miracle that Jesus did from a different gospel writer. One is from John and the other is from Mark. I'm going to read a little bit more uh, than I usually read, but I think it'll be helpful to give you the context. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 13. I'm talking to you this morning about how a biblical miracle works. Here's what the Bible says. John chapter 1, verse 2. After these things, Jesus went up over the Sea of Galilee, went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, same sea. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed and those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And now it was the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? that these may eat. Let me pause there for a moment. Let me tell you one thing I found out about following Jesus the last 31 years reading a lot of the Bible. There are different times in the Bible where God asks humanity questions. Here's one of them. Let me help you guys with one thing. Here's what I've learned. Whenever God asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Adam, where are you? Whew, gosh, where's my glasses? Jesus, somebody. How you know God knew exactly where Adam was? The reason why God asks us questions is not because he doesn't know the answer. He wants to know if we know the answer. It helps to, God's questions help us locate where we are. So he says to Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may? Look at the next verse. But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may eat. This is a huge, this is a huge group here, Jesus. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here. There's a lad here. There's no Popeyes that's close, but there's a boy. There's a young boy. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? One kid had a lunch. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. They were like, what's Jesus doing? What's going on here? Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, a number, about 5,000. Pause there for a moment. Some theologians believe it's important that they use the word men there to suggest that there's 5,000 men. And it is very appropriate to assume just 5,000 men is not the whole crowd. If you add wives, if you add children, it could be 20 or 25,000 people. Would you think about the magnetic, the, 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 the huge proportion of uh, how many people are actually there? 5,000 is a lot. How about 20,000? So now Jesus tells the disciples to, all, to get them down, sit down. All of you guys sit down. Watch what happens. Verse 11. The Bible says, and Jesus took the loaves. Whose loaves? Little Jimmy's lunch. Junior high Jimmy took his lunch. 
And Jesus took the loaves, and, and, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. So Jesus takes Jimmy's lunch. He's got Jimmy's lunch. He blesses Jimmy's lunch. He gives it to the disciples, and then the disciples turn and distribute to them uh, those that are sitting down, and likewise, of the fish as much as they wanted from one lunch. Look at the next two verses, verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gathering up the fragments that remain, gather them up so that nothing is lost. Last verse. Therefore they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the Remember, this is one lunch of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus is teaching all day long. The people are hungry. He knows that they're getting hungry. There's no Popeyes, McDonald's. It's Sunday, so you couldn't go to Chick-fil-A anyway. You didn't get that. We'll pray for you afterwards. And uh, <laughs> there's no restaurants around. And Jesus is very aware that all of these people are hungry. And he's like, hey guys, what do you think we should do? They start freaking out. They're like, wait, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really. Oh, and then one of them says, well, there, there's this one kid whose mom packed his lunch, junior high Jimmy. And I know he's got a lunch. Why is it, why is it that Jesus thought it was so important to put this particular miracle, the only miracle, this is important for all of our campuses, the only miracle that Jesus put and made sure was in every one of the Gospels. And I'll tell you why, because I think present in this miracle is the key to how all miracles work. Are you with me? If you want to see the miracle power of God work in your life, present within this, resident within this particular story is how every biblical miracle works. Let me give you a statement. I put it down. It's not in your notes, but I'm going I'm to give you this statement. You may want to write it down, and, and then I'm going to teach through this statement. All right, here we go. How does a biblical miracle work? Where there is a what? Everybody say it. A need. There's got to be a need. There's got to be a problem. Every miracle you see in the Bible, first there is a need, first there is a problem sensed by a group, and each individual understands his or her responsibility. And they step out, regardless of the odds, then, and only then, Jesus works a miracle. Let me talk about it just for a moment. Number one, a biblical miracle starts a biblical miracle starts with a, everybody say it, a, a need. You show me in the Bible. You show me in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Whenever God does a miracle, there's always, pre, pr, prior to that, there's a need. There is a challenge. There is a problem. God sees the problem. God sees the need. By the way, Jesus knew exactly, hey, these guys, it's late in the day. They're hungry. So, uh, Philip, what, what are we going to do about that? He asked a question to them. Every, every miracle that has happened in my life, every miracle that's happened in the lives of people that I know, whether I'm their pastor or not, there, there's always one commonality. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four. There is a need, there is a challenge, there is a problem. Now the good news is, if you have a problem today, if you have a need today, if you have a challenge today, listen to me closely, it's important. You are a candidate for a miracle. I have had people all the time, they've said to me, Pastor, I'd love to see God's miracle power. I said, great. 
Are you willing to be in a position where you actually need a miracle? That's good preaching. Because if you really want to see God's miracle power happening in your life, where God shows up and God does things that are unexplainable, where you actually live the quote above and beyond, the extraordinary life, not ordinary, but extraordinary life, then we've got to be willing from time to time to be placed in a position where we actually need God, where we actually need a miracle from God, where God shows up and breaks out and does things that are unexplainable. If we have a problem, we're actually a candidate for a miracle. You know, Church of the King has been a history of miracles the last 19 years. As a matter of fact, next weekend is our anniversary, 19 years that Church of the King has, has been around. Very excited about that. But, 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 but don't misunderstand me. This church has been a string of needs and God breaking through. Problems and God coming. Challenges, the church is growing, it's expanding, we need buildings. Oh my gosh, we need miracles, we need a, we need a building. God, what are you gonna do? And then we, we're expanding again, and then we need the resources, and then we need permitting, and we need approvals. We need, I mean, it's been like one challenge, one miracle. One challenge, one miracle. One challenge, you say this, you want to see God's miracles, are you willing to be put in a position where you actually need one? Wow. Pastor, I'm thinking second thoughts about that. That's how it happens. Matter of fact, we are in need of a miracle today. In all of our campuses, the South Shore packed out. 250 seats, 1,000 people. We need a miracle. God has provided an incredible building, that West Esplanade campus. It's just amazing. That in itself is a miracle. And yet the provision to be able to pay for that, to renovate that, St. Charles campus, the fact that we've not only had that building, 1,200 seats. Listen, you guys know, and you and I know, that there are restaurants in the city of New Orleans that you like, but you don't, you hesitate to go there because there's no what? Say it, parking. We Guess what we signed this week? We signed a contract with the parking that we now have close to 500 parking spots under the interstate that people can park to go to church in downtown New Orleans. How many are all excited about that? Isn't that cool? Every one of our campuses, Biloxi, here at Little Creek, we've always needed God's miracles. Why? Because we keep pressing, we keep pushing, we keep knowing that the vision of reaching people and building lives is bigger than us. And that's what this church is about. Seeing people come to Christ, seeing people restored by the blood of Jesus and their lives built up in God. So number one, a biblical miracle starts with a need. Number two. The second thing is where there is a need sensed by a group. By the way, I just finished the book of Joshua. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get the series. And it was all about, yes, the leadership of Joshua, but much more than that, it was the willingness of all the people, everybody doing their part. Everybody had to walk across that Jordan River. By the way, in the Beyond campaign, we need everybody to participate. Not just one or two people, everybody. Where there is a need sensed by a group of people. Look at this, Mark chapter 6. Same story, different gospel. When the day was now far spent, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. The disciples realized they had a problem. It was at the end of the day. And they had a big hungry crowd of thousands of people. The important thing is they brought the need to Jesus. They recognized that there was a need. This huge crowd, they've been following this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi, and, and he's, a, he's an amazing teacher, and he's so good. There's now thousands of people, and so, 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 so Jesus has huddled his group, his disciples. They come to say, Jesus, 
we got a problem. It's late in the day. Where are these people gonna go? They're hungry. Now, we've seen you kind of disappear at times. But if they get hungry, we're kind of like your followers, kind of the main group. What are we going to do? I love this response. This response is so classic. This is so powerful. Jesus' response. You got to get the setting. Thousands of people. The rabbi's teaching. All these hungry people. The disciples key in on this and they say, we've got to do something. Jesus turns and says in Mark 6, he goes, you give them something to eat. Well, thank you, Jesus. Me? What am I going to do? Has God ever asked you to do something that you didn't think that you could do? I know he has to me. So, so what do we do in Christianity? I'll tell you what we do in Christianity. You're, y'all, please don't miss this. This is going to so help you because I am believing God in your life and in my life that we can walk in the miracle power of God. But here's what we do. Here's what the Christian community does. Okay, there's a need. Everybody say need. Okay, so we bring the need to Jesus. Watch this. We bring the need to Jesus. And the next thing you know, we'll sing songs to Jesus. Jesus is great. You can do anything. You're awesome. We'll sing songs to Jesus. We'll quote scripture to Jesus. We'll, we'll, we'll praise Jesus. But, but, but we often refuse to get involved with Jesus to see the miracle happen. In other words, Jesus, there's a problem. Do your stuff. I'm melting. I'm sorry. And Jesus goes, this is what he does. Watch this. He goes, all right. You guys feed him. What? Jesus, you walked on the water. I sunk. You do the feeding. We'll do the clapping. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Watch this. All of us are guilty of this. We see a need. We've got a problem. But one of the things I've learned walking with Jesus for 31 years without God, we cannot. But without us, he will not. In other words, God always uses us to work his miracles through. No, it's going to rain. Build a boat. Oh, Thought I could just snap and the boat would be built. Took him 120 years. You think every time he was hitting that nail in there going, where's God? He was obeying God. Are y'all with me? How about the man that was lame on the mat? Jesus says, arise and be healed. Why don't you heal me? Then I'll get up. He says, get up first. How about the man with the withered arm? He says, stretch it out. The Bible says, as he stretched it out, it was made whole. How about the lepers? As the lepers went, they were healed. In other words, a lot of times, don't miss this, we're not wanting miracles, we're wanting magic. And magic is where God does everything and we do nothing. That was really good preaching, by the way. Wow. Wow. Where there's a need, Sensed by a group. Let me give you the third thing. And they step out. They obey. Regardless of the odds. Back to John. Same story. Stay with me, please. Stay with me. 
One of the disciples, John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, and one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad, don't miss this, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. He's got some French bread pistolets, all right, and two speckled trout. But what are they among so many? At first, the disciples had a hard time finding food, but one of them said, hey, 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 there's a little boy. He brought us lunch. Can you imagine? Listen, can you imagine when the disciples turned and they moved towards that little boy? You, you ever been? You ever, you ever been? Matter of fact, they had some guys in our, in our high school, you know, they would go around and, you know, football players trying to gain weight. They just, you want your lunch? You, want your, you know, this one kid always, they would always go to this one kid and the kid would be sitting on the end of the bench and they'd come to get his lunch and he's big lime and come get his lunch and, and they'd be like, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want? Can you imagine little junior high Jimmy when the disciples were moving in? Jimmy's just sitting over, he's eating his first little pistolette. You, you know what you do when so, you know what you do when somebody's beating in on what you got. You're like. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me give you two reasons why it's hard to give up our lunch. You guys ready for this? There's two reasons why it's hard. Here it is. Number one, it's hard to give up your lunch. It's hard to care for others when we're comfortable ourselves. Can I tell you something? There's only one person in the crowd that didn't need a miracle. It's Jimmy. He had his lunch. He's the only one that was eating. It was the 24,999 people that actually needed the miracle but he had something in his hand that was gonna be part of the miracle. Number one, it's hard to care for others when we're comfortable ourselves. I never forget when we, uh, I brought my boys a number of years ago to Belize on a mission trip, Belize. We didn't go scuba diving, all right? We went literally. Matter of fact, Pastor Blake Boudreau led the trip and it was awesome and he did a great job and we were able to go and just, my, my boys, if you, you, incredible when you bring a kid outside of this country, you know, it's like, the majority of the world does not live the way that we live here, okay? And their eyes are opened up, and it's hard. It's hard. It's, listen, it's hard until you see it. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Until you put your hands on it, until you feel it, until you get around it? It's just hard because our reference point is this. We think everybody drives a car. Everybody goes to a nice school. Everybody's got clothes. Everybody can shop. But, but that's not true. It shifts your perspective, doesn't it? Those of you that have been on a missions trip, but it's, but it's hard. It's hard, it's hard to, to, to get outside of yourself when your own personal needs are met. It's like, well, you know, I'm okay. Let me tell you the second reason why it's hard to give up our lunch. I'll tell you why, because God often asks us to do things that don't make sense. How is my one little lunch? How is my one little lunch? You, you, you guys want my lunch for what? We gotta feed this crowd. This is a small lunch. That's a big crowd. How is my small lunch even going to make a dent? How's that going to happen? You know, the arena downtown, the Smoothie King Arena, I think it seats like 18,000 people. I want you to think about this. The whole arena is filled with people, and one little boy's got a happy meal. How is my happy meal? going to feed this whole arena. 
Wow. Sometimes it's hard to give up our lunch because we don't understand. God's asking us to do something. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Can you imagine that day when he got back home to his mom? How was the preacher? It, it was good, mom. Did you eat your lunch? Part of it. What happened? Somebody took it. Those thieves. No, 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 no. I mean, I gave it. I really did give it. Well, why? What happened? Well, mom, you're not going to believe this. I, you're, not, you're not going to believe this. Do you have your lunch box? Mom, I'm telling you what happened. I gave my food. There's this rabbi dude, this teacher guy, the miracle guy. I'm telling you, the disciples, I gave him my lunch, and then they gave it to him. And watch this, Mom. They, they put it in his hands. The next thing you know, he raises it up to the sky, my lunch. Okay? And then he turns back to those guys, and he starts handing out the lunch. Now, I know you gave me five pistolets, but I'm telling you, it went to six, it went to seven. I don't know how it happened. I don't, I, this just blows me away, Mom. But the more that he gave out of my lunch, the more that it multiplied. Did you know in Hebrews chapter 11 that the Hall of I've, I've taught a series called the Hall of Faith. You know the Hall of Fame, football, Canton, Ohio? Well, Hebrews 11 is the Hall of, hall of Faith. Men and women of God, Hebrews 11 and 12. Hebrews 12 says this, watch this. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, let us run our race. Do, do you know right now, I believe there's actually a thin veil between heaven and earth. Listen to me closely. I do believe that the great men and women of God are standing in the grandstands, cheering us on as we're running our race. As each one of us are running the race that God has set before us to fulfill God's call, to fulfill God's destiny. And I believe if every single one of them could step out of the grandstands and give us a message, it would be powerful. Do you know that every time we read the Bible, we read about Moses. We read about the different men and women in the Bible. Esther. I believe that Esther would say, for such a time as this, God puts you on the planet. But let me tell you what I believe that Jimmy would say. You ready? I believe Jimmy would say this, if he could step out and say, God can only multiply what you put in his hands. But when you put it in his hands, multiplication takes place. Listen to me, listen to me. I want everybody to hear me at all the campuses. It all depends upon whose hands it's in. But let me give you an example. You see, uh, you see this basketball in my hands? Let me tell you what it means. Not a lot. You put it in Anthony Davis's hands. You put it in LeBron James's hands, and there's a chance for the L.A. Lakers. Are you with me? This means about thirty-eight million dollars a year, maybe fifty million dollars a year, whatever LeBron James. I mean, so so so. What's the difference? Same basketball. The difference is who's everybody say it, whose hands it's in. Let me show you another one. You see this golf club right here? Let me tell you what this means in my hands. I've been practicing. <laughs> Watch, keep the knee in, all right? Let me tell you what this means in my hands. Lots of broken windows. 
Listen to me closely. Y'all been watching Tigers making a comeback? Have y'all been watching that? It's pretty powerful. One of the greatest American comeback stories. It's, it's, it's something about us. It's just like we want to see somebody come back. In his hands, it's worth about $50 million a year. Same club. It all depends whose hands it's in. Let me, let me give you one more. Y'all ready for this? You see this? You see this ball right here? In my hands? Oh, I had it at one point in time. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. I'm, I'm being humble saying that. How many of y'all saw Napoleon Dynamite? Anybody? Come on, Uncle Rico. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all want to watch my state game highlights? But here we go. I'm... <laughs> In my hands, it means some fun with some friends or family or my kids. But you put the same ball in Drew Brees' hands. Come on, New Orleans Saints, 2019 Super Bowl. Come on. Same ball. It all depends on whose, everybody say it, hands it's in. God can only multiply what you put in his hands. 